Okay, welcome to our Sunday show. I'm Janine Moloff, the producer and host of Progressive News Network and its companion show, the Environmental Justice Report, both on Progressive News Network here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long week, okay? So today we're focusing on both the Environmental Justice Report, which is EJR, as well as Progressive News Network, our progressive, uh, strictly politics side. Um, I don't, you did, probably didn't get a chance to see the advert, um, mainly because I hadn't put it up yet. <laughs> okay, it, like I said, it's been a rough week. Uh, let's move into it. So the main topic today is there's a global climate emergency and it's caused by fossil fuel. We know this, but here's the problem. While mainstream media bemoans the hottest July on record, they fail to call out the cause, namely fossil fuel. Instead, the corporate, I'll call them what they are, stenographers, mention the possibility of environmental collapse, but the story's wedged between the Biden-Trump horse race and drag shows. Now, you have young people like Greta Thunberg who are hitting the streets again to demand accountability and rapid change. And, you know, they're arrested for their efforts, even in Europe. Uh, the most recent thing I saw, they were in England, and they were uh, protesting a new, I think it was oil field, that was going to be done in conjunction between a British bank and I think it was a Norwegian company. Don't quote me on it. Um, so... This is what's going on, and like I said, they're arrested for their efforts. Meanwhile, I'm going to call it out. Political whores, okay, like Joe Manchin, are racking up the bribes. Or I know, they're political contributions. Newsflash, I don't give a damn what the nonsense with Citizens United said. When a politician of either party receives money, a gift of money or some other in-kind contribution, a gift of influence, whatever, and it's implied that it's going to be for their cooperation for something a very rich donor wants, newsflash, that's a bribe. It's not rocket science. And it doesn't matter what kind of torturous argument conservatives on the Supreme Court come up with. So, and again, am I slut-shaming Joe Manchin? You're damn right I am. Okay, he is a political whore, so is Kristen Cinema. So while they're racking up the bribes, call them what you like, I call them what they are, as they push for more fossil fuel excavation. Okay? So there's more fossil fuel excavation going on because our politicians are being bribed to push it. And actually Joe Manchin doesn't really have to accept the bribes. He owns a large coal company himself. But it's Manchin, it's Senator Shelley Moore Caputo, uh, it's, you know, Chris, Kristen Cinema. it's quite a few of them. So once again, this is an emerging story, and the question is, why won't President Biden declare a climate emergency? It's actually within his power to do so. With declaring, If the president declared a climate emergency, it would trigger all sorts of funding to assist with green energy. Yeah. In other words, it would make it easier for us all to transition, you know, to a cleaner climate. And we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes. Our second story deals with the systemic government censorship of our teachers. Now, both 
K through 12 teachers and university instructors are facing dismissal, lawsuits, losing their licenses over what it what should be considered constitutionally protected free speech. I don't care what kind of funky law they pass in Florida or Arkansas or Missouri or wherever that says, hmm, you can't teach things that are divisive concepts. What utter rubbish and nonsense. It says in the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law. Now, what it really means is the legislative branch. In other words, no law restricting, yeah, the right of free speech. Government can't do that, but that's exactly what these damn conservatives have been doing. So I'm going to discuss how this story coordinates um, with the climate emergency story in, like, final words, kind of a little editorial. But what I'm really going to talk about is the story of two cases of censorship, all right? Uh, and it's two different universities, uh, uh, University of Illinois, um, Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, the case of a student named, um, oh, Lord, what was her name again? I'm sorry. I've had a really rough week, people. I think her name was Kelly DeLong. Let me make sure I've got that right. Uh, or DeJong, that's what it was. I'm sorry, folks. Is I have not been feeling well this week. Give me a second here. Ah. Okay. It takes a minute. I put this together very quickly because I wasn't... Yeah, her name is, um, no, I'm sorry, I got her name wrong, Maggie DeJong, okay, and this was a graduate student at uh, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, um, she was in an art therapy program, I think, graduate level, and she was um, told that she couldn't speak to certain students in her cohort, and uh, we're going to talk about that, too. And, you know, DeJong claims, well, they're censoring my free speech rights as a conservative, as a Christian conservative. Um, and so a politically motivated, shall we say, advocacy group that's, of course, a non-for-profit, though they shouldn't be. I think it was the Alliance Defending Freedom that came to her aid. Yes, Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, because God forbid Miss DeJong should have her little feelings hurt. Apparently, conservatives can dish it out, but they can't take it, you know, when somebody says stop. Okay, nobody actually retaliated against her, but that's not the way she sees it. And I've got two pieces here, and it's really ironic, okay? There's a piece by Newsweek where it actually does omit uh, necessary context, and then there's a piece from the Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville school newspaper where they actually quoted the other students in that cohort and got the full story. Isn't that amazing? Uh, ironically, when the Alliance for Defending Freedom took DeJong's case to court, um, they won. I don't think they should have, but they did. So the second case involves a, an instructor at Texas A&M, somebody named Joy Alonzo, and she was talking about the opioid crisis. She's a pharmacist. And in just giving her talk, she may have meant, made some statement that she didn't really agree with the lieutenant governor's uh, point of view on things. And it got back to the lieutenant governor through several other people. And, um, you know, Alonzo was looking at getting fired, actually. She's not, but 
it's a serious problem here. So that's what we're dealing with today. And, of course, we will have our um, jackass of the week. I have to scroll through this a lot, okay? This, it was a problem scrolling through. We will have our jackass of the week this week, and we, of course, will have My Little Margie. So with no further ado, I'm sorry for kind of the rocky start here. Again, not feeling my best, but here we go. So the first story is about the climate emergency. Now, the first uh, piece that I uh, referenced is from Common Dreams. It's a piece written by journalist Brett Wilkins. And the headline says, it's a quote, actually, of Oregon Democrat Jeff Merkley, quote, July should be a wake-up call. Senator says Biden must stop proving new fossil... I'm going to read that again. Yeah, not in good... I'm not in good voice today. Let me start again, okay? Um piece by Brett Wilkins and Common Dreams. The headline is, quote, July should be a wake-up call. Senator says Biden must stop approving new fossil fuel projects. To quote Democrat Jeff Merkley, quote, we are in a climate emergency. We can't take a piecemeal approach to the massive crisis we face, end quote. I agree with him. So it's going to be kind of a really loosey-goose program today. Again, I didn't have a lot of time to put it together. Um, we all know that July, this July has been, if not the hottest month ever recorded on Earth, one of the hottest. Actually, according to what Wilkins wrote and according to Common Dreams, as documented there, July is supposed to be, of 2023, the hottest month, quote, ever recorded on Earth. Okay? In fact, I'm going to read this first quote here. Quote, citing the extreme temperatures baking much of the United States during July, which is set to be the hottest month ever recorded on Earth, Democrat U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon on Thursday called on President Joe Biden to stop approving new fossil fuel projects and declare a climate emergency, end quote. So apparently Merkley um, is really getting on Biden about this. Now, during this, uh, you know, this speech, okay, so let me check this out here. The speech here... Um, not found. Wow. They are breaking links real fast nowadays. Okay, so accordingly, according to this article, Joe Biden asked the Labor Department to, you know, increase their efforts to protect workers from extreme temperatures and to announce new Interior Department water storage investments in western states. Okay, it's straight from the article. But according to Brett Wilkins, the journalist here, President Biden failed to unveil any new measures, you know, to fight this planetary emergency. Um, in fact, according to this, Biden didn't even mention fossil fuels, which is the central driver of global heating. It's the main cause of this climate catastrophe. Okay. Merkley said in a statement, quote, direct quote, Quote, Americans are roasting and suffering under extreme heat and smoke in nearly every corner of the country. In Arizona, people are getting third-degree burns just from falling on the ground, while even, while even East Coast states are experiencing air clogged with smoke from forest fires, end quote. And that's a statement from Senator Merkley, and it's straight from, you know, you can go to his own website, www.merkley.senate.gov. Can you imagine 
it's so hot that in Arizona alone, as an example, if you people are falling down, they're just collapsing from the heat, and as they fall, they're getting third-degree burns from the pavement. Let that sink in for a minute because that is serious. Merkley went on to say, quote, in July, average temperatures for the entire globe have been the highest on record. Add that on top of the last nine years being the nine warmest years on record. We are in a climate emergency. We can't take a piecemeal approach to the massive crisis we face, end quote. Merkley went on, just reading straight from this, Merkley went on to say, quote, July should be a wake-up call for everyone. Okay? Uh, and end quote. Merkley then went on to demand that Biden direct the FEMA, direct FEMA to quote unlock its authority to allow governors to address extreme heat and smoke events and ask Congress to fund it robustly in an emergency disaster supplemental. Merkley went on to say, quote, second President Biden should develop a plan to end the reliance on fossil fuels that is causing this crisis. Any plan should start by ending approval of new fossil projects. Merkley went on to say, quote, finally, the president should use his broad and crucial powers by declaring a climate emergency under the National Emergencies Act. Under a climate emergency, the president can move decisively and swiftly to address the climate chaos happening all around us. Declaring a climate emergency is the best way for us to holistically protect the environment, public health, the planet, American workers, American consumers, and our national security from the worst effects of climate chaos, end quote. So apparently there is something that any president can do, and that is, um, excuse me, under... There, there's, a, there's a federal law, the National Emergencies Act. The president could declare a climate emergency. Okay? That would loosen up a lot of help. Okay? So Merkley, Merkley's call to President Biden of his own party uh, is similar to th- what other progressive lawmakers and activists are demanding. And then the article cites 21-year-old Elise Joshi. Now, Elise Joshi is the executive director of an advocacy group called Gen Z for Change. Apparently, Joshi's also a major social media influencer and, you know, the thing's climate. Apparently, oh, I love this. According to Common Dreams, Joshi interrupted... I'm just going to read this straight from here. Quote, on Thursday, Joshi, this Generation Zer, um, interrupted White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, I lost my place here, during a speech to declare that, quote, a million young people wrote to the administration pleading not to approve a disastrous oil drilling project in Alaska, and we were ignored, end quote. Joshi then demanded that Biden, who has a history, has approved fossil fuel projects, quote, at a faster rate than the Trump administration, and that's his document of a common dreams, to, quote, stop approving new oil and gas projects and align with youth science and frontline communities. Okay? I got to respect that Gen Zer. Okay? Joshi told the truth. Right. If Biden is actually 
approving fossil fuel projects faster than the Trump administration did, we're definitely going the wrong direction. And Biden's in the wrong. So, but there's more. Okay. Um, this is, oh, okay, this one. This is from um, Reader. Our, okay, this actually, I take that back. This article is from Vice. It's written by Becky Ferreira. The headline says, a major climate system will collapse decades ahead of schedule and unleash devastation, scientists predict. Now, you've probably seen some stories about this, even on CNN, all right? So what's happening is, there is it, this deals with ocean currents. Specifically, this deals with ocean currents in the Atlantic Ocean. And this... Uh, Let's see. So this deals with what they call AMOC, which is the Atlantic Meridional, uh, I cannot pronounce this word, the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation. All right. Uh, this is called AMOC. And basically what it does is this is, uh, it acts, according to this article, it acts like a huge conveyor belt that delivers warm water from the equator to the poles and then brings back cold water back southward to the equator. So in this process, this current that sends, you know, warm water from the equator, you know, to the poles, which includes it sends it to Europe and then brings back cold water to, to the equator to make life not quite so sweltering, you know, in the tropics. What happens is the AMOC just does heat up Europe while it cools the tropics. Apparently without AMOC, because think of where Europe's located. People forget that, all right? They're further north in a large part of you know, the United States. And you kind of have to wonder, why isn't it an icy area like, for instance, parts of Canada? It's because of the AMOC. That's what it is. Okay. So the AMOC's been circulating since uh, apparently the end of the last ice age, which was some 12,000 years ago. Now, before people say, well, this has been happening for a while. Well, scientists have admitted that there is evidence of earlier collapses of the system, and that also set off temperature extremes. Now, here's the problem. Quote, in recent years, the AMOC has shown signs that it is weakening, leading the most recent IPCC report to conclude that it is on track to collapse sometime after the dawn of the 22nd century. Now, there's something worse, so you think, okay, that's what? 80 years from now, but it, not necessarily. This, the IPCC report has been, that estimate's been considered to be kind of on the conservative side. Um, but researchers at the University of Copenhagen, um, physicist Peter Ditlevsen, and mathematician Suzanne Ditlevsen, it's hard to say, um, they found new evidence and they presented it that the AMOC may collapse decades earlier. So the pair, quote, predict with high confidence the tipping to happen as soon as mid-century with 95% chance of occurring any time between 2025 and 2090, to 2095, assuming a business-as-usual future in which greenhouse gas emissions are not reduced according to a study published on Tuesday in Nature Communications. People think, they look at the 2095. Well, okay, that's, what, 70 years away? But 2025 is only barely two years away, really like almost a year and a half. Now, 
Susan Ditlevson, one of the researchers, quoted to Motherboard in an email, quote, the AMOC is an extremely important part of the global climate. Previous studies have found early warning signals that the AMOC is weakening. However, no study has given strict statistical confidence to these findings, and the timing has not been determined. She goes on to say, quote, we asked ourselves if it would be possible to provide reliable predictions for the timing of a possible collapse based on observations by using advanced statistical methods. And indeed, to our own surprise, this was possible, end quote. Okay. Now, there was a follow-up call to Motherboard between Ditlevson and Motherboard. Ditlevson, I cannot say this woman's name. Professor Ditlevson also noted that the IPCC report is, quote, based on complex models with a dizzying array of global climate parameters. In their study, the Ditlevsons aimed to hone in on the specific fate of the AMOC by extracting so-called fingerprints of the system strength from a 150-year data set of sea surface temperatures. This specialized technique suggests that the AMOC is much closer to collapse than implied by the IPCC models, raising alarm bells about the future of the North Atlantic. Ditlison said in the call, quote, we expected to confirm what was found in the IPCC report, so we were actually quite surprised. We did not expect to find such an early indication of collapse. It's not a completely different result because the IPCC also predicts a collapse in the models, but it's an earlier result, end quote. So, again, what does that mean? If the AMOC collapses, it will unleash severe disasters in the North Atlantic because, again, the AMOC brings warm air, I'm sorry, warm water and warm air, let me go back here again. It's hard for me to understand, all right? Um, let me back here. Yeah, okay. So the AMOC brings warm water, and thus warm air, actually, uh, warm water from the equator to the North Atlantic area, especially around Europe. And then it carries back the cooler water, the cold water, back to the tropics so it doesn't overheat there. Okay, that's what we're talking about. This is what keeps Europe. If you ever wondered why isn't an ice cube, that's why. So this is something that, um, okay, let me find my place. I'm sorry, folks. Is, here we go. I found it again. It's a little bit much here. So if the, APOC, if the AMOC does collapse, when they're talking about severe disasters in the North Atlantic, Ditt lives in was quoted saying in an email, quote, we would probably get a climate in Western Europe, more like the climate in Alaska. Other consequences could be that the heat transported north northward by the AMOC stays in the tropics, heating these even more on top of global warming. The larger temperature difference between subtropics and mid-latitudes will increase the strength of the jet stream and could lead to intensified storminess, end quote. So, to recap, the AMOC is this current of water. It it acts like a conveyor belt. It flows from the equator, pushing warm water up into the North Atlantic, especially affecting Europe. Then from Europe, it pushes down cold water back to the tropics so the tropics don't overheat. Without the AMOC, not only would 
Western Europe most likely be like Alaska, and I assume Alaska during the winter. But the subtropics and middle latitudes around the equator, without the AMOC, the jet stream would become stronger, and then we get worse storms. That means most likely worse hurricanes, like off Florida and Puerto Rico, um, worse tornadoes. I mean, we're talking disaster here, people. This is not, it, it's not make-believe, okay? So Professor Ditlevson said the following, quote, how fast the change will be when the collapse is reached is not really known. Climate models give different estimates from decades to centuries. The problem is that we have not seen a collapse of the AMOC in the past 12,000 years. The collapses and restarts seen in the paleoclimatic climatic record ice cores from the last glacial period were extremely abrupt, including estimated 10 to 15 degrees in a decade, whereas today we might expect a decline of 5 to 8 degrees compared to 1.5 in the past century. All right. What she's saying is in the past when the AMOC was doing strange things, when it was near collapse, it caused extreme weather events like the Ice Age most likely. Um, and because but the last time it happened was a long time ago. Now they're seeing changes in much shorter periods of time, which means it's almost impossible to predict when this would happen. Okay. Ditlison went on to say, quote, the closer you are to the tipping point, the more accurate our predictions will be. In five years, we, we will be much better at saying if we were wrong. Of course, and, and we could have waited five years without putting the study out, but on the other hand, we think we have an obligation to say something. Of course, I hope we are wrong. I sincerely hope we are wrong, end quote. Unfortunately, I think she's right. I'm just going to say it. And I guess my point of view is, for whatever it's worth, if we do nothing, then for sure things are going to get worse. If we assume that she's right and we take action, serious action, we may actually avert the worst of the worst. If we don't take action, then we're kind of asking for it. I'm just going to say it. So there's one more environmental story here. Today's going to be a short show because, again, I'm just not feeling that well today. Um so here we go. This is a piece, again, on the environment. There's two pieces, actually. I believe this one. This is from the lever. Okay. you got to wonder, okay, first we're blaming Biden, right, because he refuses to declare a national climate emergency. He needs, to, uh, rather, an emergency climate emergency. Let me start again. President Biden refuses to direct to, to establish a climate emergency. He's got the legal power to do it. He needs to do it like yesterday. That's on the Democratic side. And you've got fake Democrats like Joe Manchin that basically, you know, he owns a coal mine. He has a, a conflict of interest big time. You know, you've got a lot of Dems that just they like their bribes too much. They're corporate Dems. On the Republican side of it, you think, okay, what are the Republicans doing? Well, it just goes from bad to worse. So this is a piece by Julia Rock. Uh, it was written July 19th. New GOP bill would curb Biden's power to fight climate change. 
The subtitle is Republicans are trying to thwart the president's power to declare a climate emergency amid record-breaking heat. So not only will President Biden, not only is President Biden refusing to declare a climate emergency, even though federal law gives him the power to do so. Okay, the Republicans are trying to screw over a president's power to declare a climate emergency in the first place, because neither group cares a whit about any of us. It's all about money. You know, you have to understand that. Our political system is being run by the rich, and in my opinion, the rich are a bunch of addicts, and their drug of choice is money, power, and status. But they're still crazy addicts, nonetheless. So let's look at this piece by Julia Rock. So here we have not only record heat, but you know, we've, California wildfires went on for, what, a couple of years. Now we're getting wildfires in other states, Okay. There's wildfires in in Canada that are so bad, our neighbor to the north, that the sky in New York City was orange. You couldn't step outside safely. None of this is normal. And it's not going to wish away because a bunch of these MAGA morons want to believe in fairy tales. We have to be adults and we need to do something about this. It, and, you know, when I talk to friends of mine and I say, look, we're all going to have to sacrifice something. And the rich should have to sacrifice more, definitely. Like, for instance, maybe great mass transit and the age of the individual car will have to come to an end. And people will laugh it up. People know and go, oh, that won't happen. That'll never happen. And when I ask them, well, don't you worry about the world your children or grandchildren will inherit? Oh, they say, I'll be gone by then. I don't care. That is morally bankrupt as far as I'm concerned. And I don't have kids. Take a drink of water here. So we've got all this going on here. And so what's the Republican response? Last month, I guess it's back in June, Republicans introduced a bill. Yeah. Okay, I lost my place here. Hold on a second. And I'm going to click on this. It looks like, yes, and it looks like the lead author was Shelley Moore Capito. Senator Capito, this is June 27th. Uh, this is on her own website, mind you, so it's not propaganda. She's bragging about, she put on her own website, Capito reintroduces bill to prevent Biden from declaring climate change a national emergency. Okay, this is on Shelley Moore Capito's own website, prominently displayed, June 27, 2023. It starts out by saying, quote, President Joe Biden doesn't have the authority to declare a national emergency over climate change. That's the opinion of U.S. Senator Shelley Moore Capito, Republican West Virginia, and other Republican lawmakers who have reintroduced a bill that would prevent Biden from issuing such a declaration, end quote. Understand, West Virginia, same state as Joe Manchin, big coal companies, and Senator Capito's wrong. There, There is a law that allows him to do that, allows the president to declare a national emergency over climate change. But she goes on to say wrongfully, quote, Capito, ranking member of the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, announced Monday that she has reintroduced the Real Emergencies Act in the Democrat-controlled U.S. Senate. 
A companion bill has been introduced in the Republican-controlled U.S. House of Representatives by U.S. Rep. August Fluger, Republican, Texas. Okay, this is a direct quote of Capito. Quote, the Biden administration is repeatedly governed by executive overreach when it comes to energy and environmental regulations, ignoring the law and doing so without congressional approval. These regulations have made us less energy independent, that is, led to higher prices for consumers and created uncertainty for employers and workers across the country. The Real Emergencies Act would ensure the president cannot go further by declaring a national emergency, which would grant him more executive authority and grow the size of government all in the same, all in the name of climate change, end quote. So this goes on to say that I'm just reading straight from Capito's page, quote, some conservatives are worried that Biden will try to declare, to declare a climate change national emergency. They fear that such a declaration could lead to a repeat of a myriad of government-ordered mandates similar to those seen during the recent COVID-19 crisis, including lockdowns and stay-at-home orders, but this time on the basis of climate change. Okay, so who's involved in this? Well, it just says right here, joining Capito in co-sponsoring the Real Emergencies Act. Don't you love that name? The Real Emergencies Act, because apparently Shelley Moore Capito doesn't believe that the climate disaster is a real emergency. But joining this little twit were U.S. Senators John Barrasso, Republican Wyoming, John Boozman, Republican Arkansas, Kevin Kramer, Republican North Dakota, John Haven, Republican North Dakota, uh, Cynthia Lummis, Republican Wyoming, Roger Marshall, Republican Kansas, Pete Ricketts, Republican Nebraska, Dan Sullivan, Republican Alaska, and Roger Wicker, Republican Mississippi. Okay, so I want to note that Barrasso is one of the leaders in the national GOP. I believe when it comes to Senate leadership, he's like number two or three, all right, right next to McConnell. So, and Barrasso, unlike McConnell, likes to stay in the background. You don't hear about him very much. Comes across as really low-key, but he's he's been part of some really vile things, okay? So, what would this legislation do? Again, straight from Capito's own website, quote, the proposed legislation would prevent Biden from using three primary statutory authorities available, the National Emergencies Act, the Stafford Act, and Section 319 of the Public Health Service Act to declare a national emergency solely on the basis of climate change. Okay. So they're trying to create a new law that undoes these old laws in the middle of a climate emergency. So if you've ever wondered why so many kids have such severe asthma, well, again, these people have no conscience in my opinion. Now, this Capito's page goes on to say, quote, the bill will not prevent Biden from acting on other national emergencies or major disasters, including hurricanes, flooding, etc., according to Capito's office. Okay. Capito originally introduced the measure in 2022, but it didn't pass the Democrat-controlled Senate at the time. Okay, end quote. That's the whole thing. So, Capito, I don't know how people that, a lot of these senators are attorneys. I don't know how people get through law school and become lawyers or become U.S. senators that basically write things that represent such sloppy thinking. 
you know, according to Capito, according to her own page, if this bill that she's pushing would not prevent President Biden from acting on other national emergencies like hurricanes and flooding, how can this bill work then? Because hurricanes and flooding, especially when they increase more, are directly attributable to climate change. Does this woman not think? I would like to know. I mean, this whole bill is going to say President Biden can't declare climate change a national emergency. But if, for instance, a, a hurricane or a flood hits a state that's your state and your constituents, well, yeah, he can act on that. But if that hurricane or flood is that much worse, like a 500-year flood or a 1,000-year flood as we're having now, or a 500-year snowfall, blizzard, or a 500-year hurricane, you know, then guess what? That's directly attributable or caused by climate change. So according to Capito's own bill, if that if that major disaster were found to be attributable to climate change then president the president could not give relief do these senators even pay attention to the crap they put on paper it's right there you cannot miss it okay now according to this article once again by julia rock what's the benefit of biden declaring a national emergency over climate change well he could take, according to this article, quote, he could take aggressive action to, yes, cut fossil fuel production and speed up clean energy manufacturing by reimposing the ban on cruel oil, crude oil expert, exports, ugh, I'm having trouble today, halting oil and gas leasing, investing in public transit infrastructure, and requiring public companies, I'm sorry, and requiring private companies to manufacture renewables. Okay? There would be a way to do this and this deals with the climate president's emergencies powers there's a i'm looking at a legal guide to bold climate action and this is a paper written by the center for biological diversity okay um so you know once again according to this particular paper Quote, the climate emergency presents, quote, a, co- a code red for humanity, and its devastating impacts are already here. More than 40% of Americans, I'm reading straight from this, more than 40% of Americans live in a county hit by climate-related extreme weather last year. At least 656 people died as climate-driven disasters, including wildfires, heat domes, deep freezes, and hurricanes ravaged the country, costing upwards of $100 billion. These disasters capture only a fragment of the climate emergency's global impact, intensifying food insecurity, climate migration, political unrest, and irreversible biodiversity loss. Look, folks, you don't have to be a biologist to understand what they're saying. What they're saying is we don't take serious action. Not only We're already living through this climate emergency. How many people in my area alone have suffered constant power outages because of of severe storms how many people in texas lost power and heat uh during a winter where they receive snow and they don't usually you know the wildfires in california what is it going to take to get your attention and believe it or not 
the extremes are worse elsewhere. Right now in Florida, for instance, multiple insurance companies are refusing to insure people for their cars or homes in Florida because of the problem with hurricanes and the intent and the intense heat. They don't want to accept the liability. If an insurance company gives up on it, what does that tell you? We can't act like a bunch of spoiled brats. We just can't. Now, I understand that if you cut fossil fuel production, people are afraid, well, the cost of gas will go up. There's price limits we can put on things. You know, in the 1970s, it was under Richard Nixon, a Republican, there were wage and price freezes. And it worked. There was rent control, and it worked. People could get by. It's called making the rich pay for the mess they caused in the first place. Great in great mass transit will be a big help. It just will. In the early days of the COVID pandemic, when people were just, you know, in their homes and not driving hardly at all, unless they were a necessary worker, the air started to clean up on its own. It just did. You know, in Italy, the air was, in Venice, the air and the water was starting to look clean for a change in just 30 days. We can't behave like a bunch of silly brats that think, hmm, if I'm a diabetic, uh, let's see, all I have to do is take my insulin and then I can eat half that chocolate cake. It doesn't work that way. Grow up, people. We will be talking about this in the future. Like I said, today's a short show because... Honestly, I'm not feeling that great. Um, so if you worry about Shelley Moore Capito and Fluger, you know, Capito is the Senate sponsor of this silly bill, the Real, Real Emergencies Act, would, which would limit what a president could do. And in the House, it's being led by Representative August Fluger. Okay. Um, now, I don't know much about Capito and her. She comes from a state that's heavy on fossil fuel, namely coal. So, of course, she has a clear conflict of interest. Uh, Fluger's not known as well, but according to this, um, quote, Fluger is the House Senate, uh, Fluger is the House's second highest recipient of oil and gas donations, in other words, read bribes, only after Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his director at Gentry Creek Energy LLC, quote, an energy company engaged in pipelines and infrastructure. And this is according to his personal financial disclosure that he had to provide. You can find it at disclosures-clerk-house.gov backslash public. It's right there. Um, so, again, Capito. She likes fossil fuel. She's been a booster. She is also a major backer of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which would be a gift to Joe Manchin and his buddies. But also, according to this, she's also personally invested in the company that's actually building the pipeline. And that's as documented by RollCall.com, hardly a bastion of liberal thought. Uh, And... According to Lever News, that pipeline got a boost from, quote, a special provision mandating its approval in the recent bipartisan debt ceiling deal. 
Remember that? And that bipartisan debt ceiling deal was garbage. Okay, I'm just going to say it. Um, but that's what happened. We talked about it on the show before. So, again, both Capitol and Fluger have a direct conflict of interest. I mean, if they weren't in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives and they were, say, doing a deal like this at the local level, if somebody caught them at it, especially if they took bribes, which is what it looks like, you can call it campaign contributions, it's still a bribe, then guess what? They'd be facing criminal charges. The U.S. Senate and U.S. House should be no different. Period. Now, according to the other seven sponsors in the U.S. Senate for this Real Emergencies Act, which would, again, limit what the president could do further, it would say that President Biden couldn't declare a national emergency, but, you know, the states that get bad hurricanes and floods, they'll still get emergency help, which, again, stupid. Um, The seven sponsors in the Senate received, quote, a combined $3.1 million in contributions from fossil fuel industry executives and political action committees over the 2017 to 2022 cycle, and that's according to data from Open Secrets. The 19 House sponsors uh, received some $1.7 million from fossil fuel executives and PACs during the 2021-22 election cycle, again, according to Open Secrets. So, again, according to this, the Capito-Fluger legislation, quote, would prohibit the president from declaring a national emergency on the premise of climate change, and then they list the same thing, okay, um, under any of these uh, under any of three laws, and they list the names more prominently, the National Emergencies Act, the Robert T. Stafford Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act, and the Public Health Service Act, and that's according to the bill text, which you can find at www.epw.senate.gov. It's right there. Um, you know, once again, this is nothing but corruption. So, I know there are some earlier feminists ago, but Senator Capito is a female senator. I, I don't care. She's also corrupt. If you can take campaign contributions, I mean, let's face it, bribes from fossil fuel to give them what they want, that's corruption. I think the old term was graft. You know, it's ironic that if somebody from the mafia did the same thing, I'll give you a contribution to your campaign if you just do me a favor. That would face criminal prosecution. But if a U.S. senator or U.S. representative does it, it's okay. It's outrageous. Okay? So we're coming to a tipping point here in our program. This is what's going on right now with this nonsense. There's more. We're not going to cover it all today, okay? But I really want – there's one other piece I want to cover, and this is from The Guardian, okay? This was published just a few days ago, July 27th. And this isn't just one bill now. This doesn't just speak to one bill that's being pushed by Senator Shelley Moore Capito or Representative Fluger. No. This is 
a systemic plan. So, you know, not that I quote anything from Hillary Clinton, but ironically, when she talks, when she used to talk about a vast right-wing conspiracy, there's some truth to it. Whether you love Hillary or hate her, the point is there's truth to that statement, like it or not. As my father used to say, the truth changes for no one. So this is from The Guardian. It was written by Darna Noor. The headline is Project 2025, Plan to, dis- to Dismantle U.S. Climate Policy for Next Republican President. And the subtitle is Right-Wing Groups Penned a Conservative Wish List for- of Proposals for the Next Conservative President to Gut Environmental Protections. So apparently this Project 2025 it is an endeavor that is, wow. It's being bankrolled to the tune of $22 million. And who actually brought it about? Well, it was convened by, guess who? The Heritage Foundation. Uh, and the Heritage Foundation is a direct recipient of you know, money from fossil fuel billionaire Charles Koch. Make no mistake about it. Now, there are people that will on the mainstream media that will say, well, the Heritage Foundation is more, you know, moderate Republicans. Eh, wrong. It's not. Okay? They're just as extremists, just minus the bad manners. That's it. So this is this Project 2025. It's being funded for about $22 million. Um, it was con- – according to this article, quote, was convened by the notorious right-wing climate-denying think tank, the Heritage Foundation, which is ties to fossil fuel billionaire Charles Koch, end quote. Okay, that's what the Guardian wrote, not me. Now, it's called the Mandate for Leadership, the Conservative Promise, and it's supposed to be a, a, a really full plan, systemic plan for the first 180 days of a presidency for an incoming Republican president. Okay? So, you know, we're talking, you know, at the first six months. Um, and climate experts, according to the article, quote, climate experts and advocates criticize planning that would dismantle U.S. climate policy, end quote. Now, the transition guide, get this, as documented by, w, you can find it on www.project. 2025.org news press releases. The transition guide is almost a thousand pages, and it was written according to this by more than 350 right wingers. Again, as documented by www.heritage.org, and it's the plan is to basically dismantle all sectors of the federal government, including environmental issues. Okay. Now, according, there's a statement here, according to Heritage, um, the foundation, the Heritage Foundation's president, Kevin Roberts, was quoted in April saying the following, quote, Heritage is convening the conservative movement behind the policies to ensure that the next president has the right policy and personnel necessary to dismantle the administrative state and restore self-governance to the American people, end quote. Okay. People, you need to take this apart and understand what the code actually says. Think for a minute here. Use a little street smarts, even if you're not into politico speak. Dismantle the administrative state. 
Okay, what is the administrative state? What do you think it is? Everything that we benefit from, the idea that we might have relatively clean drinking water, may have its problems, but it's not horrible like drinking water is, for instance, in Mexico and other places. Um, the idea that our food is relatively safe. The idea that medicines are reviewed for approval by medical experts. Um, the idea that you have public schools. The idea that you have firefighters in your community that in part receive funds from the federal government. The idea that, you know, if there's a horrible disaster like massive hurricanes and floods in Florida, FEMA comes and helps people. That's all part of the administrative state. Your Social Security check is part of the administrative state. Your Medicare is part of the administrative state. These, these greedy bastards are talking about dismantling everything and the idea that you'll restore self-governance to the American people. Let, let, let's take that. Let, let's deconstruct that a little bit. I don't care how tough you think you are as an individual or a small group of people. Do you really think you have a chance fighting against a massive corporation that's worth multi-billions dollars? Think real hard about that one for a minute. Without the Department of Justice, you have no chance. Uh, without environmental regulations, you have no chance. We have an environmental disaster here in St. Louis called Westlake Landfill. A few other places, too. A lot of people in that area where there's, you know, there was illegally dumped radioactive um, materials, it's been a cancer cluster for decades, a lot of people in that area are Republican conservatives. I'm sure many of them voted for Reagan and W and Trump. But they want it cleaned up. Well, if you dismantle the administrative state, there's no state to help force the polluter to clean it up. If you dismantle the administrative state, there's no state to clean it up. There's no money for medical bills to assist you, though you've been wronged. Without that administrative state, do you really think you stand a chance against the corporate polluters? You don't. Wake up, people. You are being scammed. That's it. And Heritage Foundation is behind it big time. Okay, so this is about everything. And it's really asinine. And that's where Trump's getting his crazy talking points. So as much fun as it is to blame everything on Donald Trump, and it is, he's horrible, he's a monster, but he's getting his talking points from Heritage Foundation. He's just more volatile and uh, cruder, that's all. This plan would expand gas infrastructure. Okay, sounds like okay, gasoline prices to the tank will go down, right? Wrong. Newsflash, we've been expanding gas infrastructure. Gas prices went up. Because that gas isn't meant for us. It's meant to be sold elsewhere where they can get a higher price. Again, you're talking about do you honestly believe you stand a chance defending yourself against massive corporations? Think real hard about that one. Now, this plan was authored by a man named Bernard McNamee. McNamee was a former official at, let's see now, I believe the Department of Energy. 
He was also a Trump appointee to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Uh, before that, he led the far-right Texas Public Policy Foundation, quote, which fights environmental regulation and served as a senior advisor to the Republican Senator Ted Cruz. Again, like here in Missouri with Westlake Landfill, yes, everybody's going, hooray, Senator Josh Hawley, you know, pushed a bill in the Senate. Where was he back in 2015? Nowhere. He's doing it now because it helps him out on re-election. But what these Republicans, and I love these people at Westlake, okay? They're, they're good people, the people that have been hurt by this. But what they don't understand is if you dismantle the administrative state, it doesn't matter what Josh Hawley pushes as legislation because there will be no administrative state to make sure it happens. That means no payment for medical damage, no payment for cleanup of this nuclear disaster that was none of our fault. We were, you know, considered uh, allowable collateral damage. We were damaged. You can't get this done without big government because you're up against big corporations. That's it. Wake up, people. You are being scammed. Okay. There's another chapter in this massive report that talks about, of course, gutting the EPA. Um, they're going to cut the agency's environmental justice and public engagement functions. Uh, translation. That doesn't just mean that uh, environmental justice for poor folks, say, in New Orleans, poor black folk in New Orleans. It also means white folks that are middle class in Westlake, in the Westlake situation. There won't be money for environmental lawyers to get this taken care of. You have to think. Okay. Uh, the environmental proposal was also written um, by Mandy Gunasakara, who was, ironically, former chief of staff, chief of staff under, at the EPA under Trump. Okay. So this is Trump, Trump, and Trump. It's not hard to figure out from this piece in The Guardian that Donald Trump and the Heritage Foundation have basically a politically incestuous relationship. It's right there. There's also a chapter in the Department of Interior. It's written by William Perry Pendley. He's the man who led the Bureau of Land Management under President Trump, uh, and that's according to The Guardian, and worked to eliminate drilling regulations. And that's according to www.wilderness.org. Okay. Now, before Penley was in the Trump administration, he headed what was called the Mountain States Legal Foundation, which is a conservative law firm, quote, where he advocated for selling off public lands. Okay. He also authored a book, Sagebrush, Sagebrush Rebel, Praising Reagan's Anti-Regulatory Policies. Now, there's a quote here from the Director of Special Investigations at the Center for Climate Integrity about Penley's uh, tenure at the Department of Interior, according to Kurt Davies. Quote, he did a bunch of terrible things. He worked to dismantle the Bureau of Land Management while he was in it. Okay. What we're talking about here, folks, is dismantling everything. When they say dismantle the administrative state, that's not what they really mean. What they're talking about is dismantling the law so that if you're wronged by a big corporation, 
You have no legal recourse. You're screwed. And again, Trump may be giving crazy speeches, but these people behind him are the real brains behind it all. So those of us on the left and even Republicans that hate Trump, you need to look at who enabled Trump. Trump's not that bright. These people are responsible, and the Heritage Foundation is just nasty. I'm just going to put it up there. These people are vile, and they need to be looked at. And again, Coke Industries, yes, they're connected to fossil fuel. Okay? So that's our first story for today. I'm going to take a little break here, and we're going to be back with our second story. Give me a second. Where did I... Wow, this is hard to find. I'm so sorry, folks. There we go. There's my intro. we're back okay so our second story 
is a story of two college experiences. Okay, I do apologize today's kind of discombobulated. Um, oh, it's been a rough week. But anyway, um, you know, there's so much going on in the educational realm, especially regarding academic censorship. You know, all over the country, uh, we have state legislatures that are passing these bills that forbid the teaching of what they call divisive concepts. So basically, you have to give the both sides absolutist kind of argument. So, for instance, if you say something, you know, bad about, if you're covering the Holocaust, for instance, and you have to find something, what, good to say about the Holocaust? That's insane. Uh, we saw just this week in Florida, you know, this this law that, um, you know, it's not a law, I'm sorry, this curriculum. It's a black history curriculum. And it, I, I looked at it. Okay, I actually downloaded the entire curriculum, all 216 pages, and I read through about half of it. And for a curriculum about African Americans, it really didn't talk much about African Americans at all. It talked about, you know, saluting the flag and being respectful of the flag and things of that nature and yes there were there was mention of prominent African Americans you know like um, you know Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King but it was minus context all right it was very watered down okay now the sad part is this particular curriculum in Florida was the committee was led by a prominent and well-educated black scholar who, you know, knows better, but he's a black conservative. And you can be a black conservative. I don't care. But don't, pardon the pun, I can't think of a better term, don't whitewash history. Tell the truth. And so this was a very watered-down history. Um, you know, again, I suspect that if they're going to do this to black history, they'll do it to the teaching of the Holocaust as well. And it's not just in our schools. It's throughout. You know, you, the, suddenly, for the last couple of years, and with Trump, you know, we got a little respite from it because Trump was licking his wounds. But now, you know, he's running that mouth of his again. And so it's become acceptable and uh, okay for people to be openly racist, openly neo-Nazi. You know, Jason Aldean, he had his Try That in the Small Town song, but... It was a video that was so vile, okay? It was a call to, you know, organize the lynch mob. It wasn't hard to figure out at all. Keep in mind, Aldine didn't grow up in a small town. He grew up in Macon, Georgia, which is like some 150,000 people. That's not a small town, okay? So he doesn't know what he's talking about as well. But Aldine has a long history of this type of stuff. And, you know, you have teachers that are afraid of, either being fired or losing their teaching license or even being prosecuted as well as sued. And, you know, I guess the thing to me is what about the First Amendment free speech rights of teachers as well as other parents who are not conservative and students who are not conservative? You know, newsflash, if you want a conservative, religious, dogmatic education for your child, you are perfectly welcome to send your kid to private school, but not on the public dime. Public 
principles are established not only to benefit children and their families, but to benefit the public interest. So we need to teach the whole history. If we don't teach the whole history, then it's that much easier for, you know, scallywags like Donald Trump to scam people again. You know, you don't have to look any further than, was it um, Greg Gutweiler? Was that the guy's name on Fox? Let me see. Let me kind of, I don't really want, Greg Gutfeld, that's what it was. I don't really follow him. Um, so according to, let's see, I think I have a piece here from Forbes. No, it's NBC News. Hold on. This has been very off the cuff today. Okay. Hmm. So Greg Gutfeld, who is like, I think he leads the program of the five, something like that. He made a crack that um, basically um, people that suffered through the Holocaust, some of them survived because they had useful skills. Okay? Like somehow this was okay. Yeah. Um, And this was in reference to the Florida African-Americans curriculum, is African-American history curriculum. So um, Gutfield, this is according to a story um, on a segment of his Fox talk show, The Five, uh, the panelists were discussing Florida's new slavery curriculum. It's actually African-American history. Um, it teaches students part of it that slaves, quote, developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit, end quote. Now, the man who's in charge of coordinating this curriculum, Dr. Allen, um, who's, you know, a retired professor, you know, said, well, people took it out of context. How could you take this out of context? How in the hell can slaves, if they're still in a slave system, develop skills which can be applied for their personal benefit if they're slaves? They're not allowed to determine anything for themselves. They are property. So that's just an asinine thing. And, um, you know, Gutfeld then compared the situation for that slavery curriculum to Jews, quote, had to survive in a concentration camp by having skills, uh, end quote. Gutfeld said, quote, you had to be useful, utility. Utility kept you alive, end quote. Okay. Um, only if it was a utility they needed. So apparently, according to Greg Gutfeld, you know, little children that were murdered in the Holocaust had no utility. This is what I'm saying. It's become acceptable to be an open racist and bigot. So using that context, I saw these two stories, and even though they're different stories, they have a common denominator. So the first story is a story of two college experiences and the effect of Republican censorship attacking the First Amendment free speech rights. And essentially, it's it's Republican hypocrisy at, at its finest. So the two college experiences, one involves a young woman, a graduate student named Maggie DeJong, who is openly a Christian conservative. And then the second one is Professor Joy Alonzo. Okay. Now, DeJong... What, it was a student at the at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, known as SEIU, in their I think it was their art therapy program. 
Professor Alonzo, I believe, is a pharmacist, and she risked, almost lost her job because of something she might have said. Okay, so the first piece, we're going to talk about Dijang first and saw the, the difference in the attention, okay? You know, basically, the, the Democrat moderates are doing nothing to protect us. They might give a few pretty speeches, but they're doing nothing to fight this discrimination, this open bigotry. So there was a piece at Newsweek, so the case of Maggie DeJong. I took a piece written by Newsweek, and I compared it to the piece written about her situation from the actual SEIU campus newspaper. And the kids at the campus did a far better job. So let me talk about this first real fast, and I've got to check our time here. Ooh, running short. Okay. So apparently what happened was Maggie DeJong was a self-described conservative Christian student. She made a big deal about her being a conservative Christian. And she just received a legal win in court against, against SEIU because she accused some professors of discrimination. Now, how did this graduate student have the money to go to court? Well, of course, she was uh, represented by lawyers from a group called Alliance Defending Freedom, which is supposedly a non-for-profit, but, you know, again, deep pockets, ultra-conservative. And Alliance Defending Freedom released a pr uh, issued a press release, and they announced that the attorneys with their organization, quote, will conduct a First Amendment training session with three professors at SIE, SIUE as part of the successful settlement of a former art therapy graduate student's lawsuit. So these three professors have to be humiliated. Now, the ADF, Alliance Defend Defending Freedom, their announcement came about a year after this graduate student named Maggie DeJong. She filed a lawsuit against Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, SIUE. She claimed that, quote, some university officials violated her First Amendment rights by issuing no contact orders against her in February 2022, prohibiting her from communicating with fellow students. And that's, again, according to Newsweek. Okay. ADF's press release, I added the following, quote, Maggie DeJong filed suit against the officials for violating her civil and constitutional rights because she held views that differed from many of her fellow students. As part of the settlement, university officials also agreed to revise both their policies and student handbook to ensure students with varying political, religious, and ideological views are welcome in the art therapy program. In addition, university officials paid $80,000, end quote. Okay, so we've got this both sides thing going on in the Newsweek piece. Now, what happened, the, the case said that, according to ADF, DeJong was, take a little drink here, she was in art therapy program at SEIU. Um, while a student, she spoke and dealt with students and professors in the program, but, quote, because DeJong's views informed by her Christian faith and political stance often differed from those of the other students in the art therapy program, several of her fellow students reported her speech to university officials, end quote. So besides the no contact orders, some students also reported DeJong Apparently, she made comments about her own personal views, um, uh, again, and and that's according to the ADF. And apparently, in, keep in mind, the Alliance Defending Freedom has been designated by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group uh, because they have anti-LGBTQ ideologies. Okay? 
Now, ADF legal counsel Matthew Hoffman told Newsweek, quote, universities cannot censor students because of their religious or political views, but the university did just that by issuing unconstitutional no-contact orders against Maggie. The settlement helps ensure that what happened to Maggie will not happen to any other student. We're hopeful this free speech victory opens universities to what they should be, marketplaces of ideas, not echo chambers for one ideology, end quote. I just wonder, does Mr. Hoffman know what he just said? Because if a student who was, say, a Muslim or a Jew or Hindu or atheist or agnostic made the same claims, I doubt if he would be fighting for their free speech rights. Okay. So Hoffman's statement continued, quote, Alliance Defending Freedom will continue to hold universities accountable so they cannot harass and intimidate students because of their religious or political views, end quote. Okay, I've dealt with some Christian fundamentalists. And I can tell you right now, if anybody's harassing anyone, they're harassing us. As some somebody being open about being a secular Reformed Jew, I can't tell you how many times I have been harassed by Christian fundamentalists constantly trying to proselytize. And when it's clear that they don't want it, then they tell me I'm going to go to hell and I'm evil and they look for the light and all this other crap. So, you know, once again, what did SIUE did? They directed Newsweek to a statement that was issued by the Chancellor, James T. Minor. Uh, the statement included the following, quote, SIUE is unequivocally committed to protecting First Amendment rights and does not have policies that restrict free speech nor support censorship. SIUE remains committed to free speech, popular or unpopular, offensive or affable, in an environment that embraces the exchange of diverse views on every aspect of human society, end quote. Um, Okay, so there's more to Miner's statement, but you get the drift here. Okay? Um, Miner added that while First Amendment rights on campus protects free speech, but not just for students but also employees, it doesn't protect students from certain behaviors that, quote, create a pervasively hostile environment for other students. Miner went on to say, quote, we accept that balancing these two deeply valued principles of free speech in a safe environment in real time represent inherent complications for administering prudence. Protecting free speech is not only driven by our values, but also by our legal obligations, while at the same time ensuring a non-hostile environment, end quote. SIUE needs a better lawyer, but, you know, that's true. I mean, I'm not, I'm clearly on the left. I'm not a fan of, of actual campus speech codes. But you notice how Newsweek did this both sides thing. Do they give any context? Did they ever once, me they mentioned that other students complained about Maggie DeJong's behavior, and they mentioned harassment. But did they actually talk to the other students and talk about what did Maggie DeJong do? No. She comes across like a little angel. So now, the student newspaper at SIUE, the Alestle, A-L-E-S-T-L-E, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it, piece written, this was April 14th, 2022, it's been a while, so this was written earlier. Uh, the headline by managing editor Gabriel Brady, headline reads, Complaint Filed in Art Therapy Leads to Legal Action, Students Feeling Neglected. So this talks about all the students, not just Maggie DeJong. So Maggie DeJong filed this lawsuit after uh, the university issued a no-contact order where she wasn't allowed to speak to certain students that had complained about her. Okay. Now, this time it was a different uh, attorney. At that point, Tyson Longhofer 
was Senior Legal Counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, and their mission is really listed as defending religious freedom for Christians. Make no mistake about it. It's not for other people, just Christians. So, you know, again, Maggie DeJong was issued a temporary no-contact order. It forbade her from communicating with three other art therapy students. Not everyone on campus, just three other students. Apparently, the students have made the complaint. Now, what you don't know about this program is they work in small cohorts. I suspect a cohort's probably less than 10 kids, 10 students. Now, the university did drop the no-contact order, and that's according to a written statement from Longhofer back in 2022. The reasons behind the order weren't specified, and so, you know, ADF claimed the university discriminated against Maggie DeJong for a religious viewpoint, quote, simply because several students complained this is wrong and unconstitutional. Universities cannot ban students from speaking to fellow students simply for peacefully expressing their viewpoints, end quote. Well, that's true. If I had been one of those students, and maybe just because I'm a little more street smart, if this idiot, Maggie DeJong, had gotten in my face and was saying really nasty things, I would have told her once and once only, and then I would have had a lawyer issue a statement to her. And if I had to file a restraining order against her, restraining order, then that's what I would have done. I wouldn't have gone through the university. Now, back then, DeJong refused to give an interview. She's giving interviews now as long as she's got an attorney by her and she's on Fox and things like that. Now, according to Maggie, she says, quote, because of these orders, I was unable to fully participate in my classes, go to certain locations on campus when the other students were present, and fully take part in the academic program. All students should be free to express their viewpoints without fear of retaliation and intimidation, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Whatever. So what did the other students have to say? Well, one of the other students complaining, Sadie Tanner Pobachik, was a graduate student in the same program, said she's known DeJong as long as um, they've been in the art therapy program. She filed the complaint that alleged DeJong was harassing members of the art therapy program, get this, on the basis of religion. Now, this is a quote from DeJong, DeJong, Tanner Pobachik, okay? Quote, I'm a third year in the program. We are in the same cohort. We all have the same classes. We have known each other for almost three years now. I filed the complaint because I am not a Christian, and DeJong has said to me in the past, and this is what I wrote in the report, that I am going to hell, that I'm not going to make it when the rapture comes to the point where I couldn't speak about religion in class without her jumping down my throat, end quote. So apparently, according to this, Little Miss Maggie wasn't so innocent. Apparently Tanner Pobachik said um, there were some issues filing the complaint even. She said, quote, we, fir- we, tried to first- we tried first to contact the Center for Student Diversity and Inclusion and they never got back to us. Now there's another student, Anna Schultz, who was a graduate student in the program as well. She took a group's class with DeJong. Now during the classes, uh, apparently art therapy students discuss they learn how diverse groups of individuals with different backgrounds can relate on common issues to help them deal with conflict. Schultz said, quote, I met Maggie at the beginning of my first year. She was a second year at the time. She was nice enough. Within groups class, she appeared several times wearing various black, various back the blue type regalia, specifically Blue Lives Matter, end quote. Now, Schultz also said that on one occasion, the course's professor told DeJong 
about how some people view those groups as problematic, and that's as documented by the LATimes.com. Um, and since the, quote, since the class was based around discussions of this nature, Schultz said the class discussed the topic that day. However, Schultz said the discussion became very heated. Um, and this is, again, because of, this is a quote from Schultz. Quote, things began to escalate toward the end of the class, and a lot of comments were made and notions by DeJong that implied people of one specific religion, specifically Christianity, had a different moral standing, are holier thou, even better than others. While those things weren't explicitly stated, it was said in a connotation that made me uncomfortable. They were microaggressions, end quote. There was a black student who told DeJong directly that they were offended, and they were actually frightened by the Blue Lives Matter organization. Now, Schultz said DeJong never personally threatened her, but she can't speak for other people in the department. Okay. Schultz also said, quote, it propagated an environment that makes many individuals, including myself, uncomfortable to be on campus, not because we think she herself is going to do anything to us, but more so this overall aura of the potential of being aggressed against based on your identity, which is something our program, the art therapy program, really stands against. Now, Tanner Pobachik, one of the students, other students that filed the complaint, also said the no-contact order, quote, stated that several students in our therapy were not to interact with each other, including DeJong. So this no-contact order didn't just apply to DeJong, but, you know, the Newsweek and other pieces conveniently omitted that important context. Tanner Pobachik said, quote, it was a two-sided effect. It wasn't just that she could not contact us. We were not allowed to contact her, end quote. So how is this discriminating against DeJong? If it was both ways, then it's, I don't know what that, what that court was thinking. All right? If it affected both sides equally, how can, they, how can DeJong claim she was discriminated against? That's nonsense. Um, you know, so Maggie threatened legal action. School did not rescind the no contacts. The school rescinded the orders. Um, you know, this is what's going on here. Schultz was, um, again, one of the classmates that filed the complaint. They're really concerned, not just that DeJong expressed her beliefs, but how it impacts future clients who don't share those beliefs. If you're going to be a therapist and use art to help traumatized people, you don't need to hear that you're going to hell because you're not Christian. According to Schultz, quote, she has shown characteristics that do not paint an ethical practice. I think it's incredibly inappropriate the way that the notion of based on my religious beliefs as a child of God, X, Y, Z, is an excuse for treating people in a frankly abusive manner, end quote. Now, apparently, SIU administrators, the director of the art therapy program, and SIUE's legal counsel declined to comment. That article was written last April. Okay. You can see these students wrote a much better article than the alleged professionals at Newsweek. Newsweek omitted all that important context. Now, I've been in a similar situation where I went to a school, a college, where, yeah, there were very few religious minorities. And, yeah, you put up with a lot of crap. You just do. My advice to those students in their future, I don't blame them. I really don't. If it had been me and if DeJong was being abusive, um, I just would have lawyered up, 
maybe gone to the ACLU or whatever, and I would have said, please send a letter, you know, advising her to just stop because if she, if you walk away, if she's coming at you and you, this sounded like a lot like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know what I'm saying? Like Marjorie Taylor Greene can, she has constitutional rights too. She can voice all those ignorant things she wants to voice. Other people can rebut it. When you offer rebuttal and disagree, that's not cancel culture. That's free speech. It goes both ways. Marjorie Taylor Greene, what she can't do, though, is once somebody says, I'm done talking to you and walks away, follow them and stalk them and harass them. Now, the question is, and I don't, I'm not saying she did, did the Jong's behavior approach stalking? That's the question that should have been asked in court. But notice how everybody bent over backwards to kiss the Jong's hiney. Because she's a Christian conservative. And according to the Alliance Defending Freedom, they clearly state in their mission that they are to, they're there to defend Christians, period. Nobody else matters. Huh? So that shows you how a religious conservative was basically allowed to scam the university for 80 grand. I guess it went to the lawyer. I'm not sure. She got her face on TV, on Fox, and all this other stuff. And there's two things going on here. She's making the accusation that she was the one being harassed, but you've got these other people. Why didn't these other stories include the statements by the other students? Okay, well, why? Because when you omit important context, it makes it harder to push off propaganda as actual news. And that's what that black history nonsense in Florida is going on. <clears throat> Basically, it's omitting necessary context because that's the easiest way to sell propaganda. Just is. You've got that going on, which benefits a conservative. Now you've got Texas A&M, case of Joy Alonzo, versus not only the university, but Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Looks like the lieutenant governor in Texas is abusing his power. Okay. Let me check the time real fast here. Got to hustle. So Joy Alonzo is an expert on the opioid epidemic. She's a professor at Texas A&M's University's Department of Pharmacy Practice. Okay. Uh, to make this short, because we're running out of time, she was placed on paid administrative leave. She was also investigated and possibly possibly was going to be fired because of some political inf interference uh, that really came from different groups, okay, especially from the lieutenant governor. He, lieutenant governor rules with an iron fist, apparently. So basically, Joy Alonzo, she's a Texas A&M University professor. She was giving what was considered a routine lecture on the opioid crisis at the University of Texas Medical Branch, and then she learned that a student, you know, had accused her of disparaging Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick during the car, during the talk. Now that's as documented by the TexasTribune.org. First of all, I don't know why it's considered a crime to disparage any politician. You have a right to express your opinion, but that was her crime. She was accused of disparaging Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Okay. She's driving home from Galveston, took her a few hours, 
And then she realized her, she, uh, the complaint had made its way to her supervisors and her job was at risk. Okay. Apparently, not only her supervisors were involved because she, you know her job was you know going to be, I guess, cut, but Chancellor John Sharp um, was involved too. Now, I want to point out something. Chancellor John Sharp is not an educator. He's a former state comptroller. Okay, but he was put in charge of this massive system, which includes eleven public universities. I don't know why he was allowed to be chancellor. That's nonsense. And apparently Sharp was communicating directly with Lieutenant Governor's office about this incident where Joe Alonzo allegedly disparaged the Lieutenant Governor. So I disparaged Donald Trump all the time. Big deal. But apparently free speech rights are only for Republican conservatives. No one else. That's what's happening here. Talk about discrimination. So apparently, less than two hours after the lecture ended where this undisclosed student, you know, made this complaint, uh, the lieutenant governor's chief of staff sent uh, Chancellor Sharp a link to Alonzo's professional bio. And then right after that, Sharp, uh, Chancellor Sharp sent a text directly to the lieutenant governor saying the following, quote, Joy Alonzo has been placed on administrative leave Pending investigation, R.E. firing her, should be finished by end of week, end quote. And the text message was signed J. Sharp. Okay? Now, how did this get all the way back there? Well, here's the thing. Um, This is from Daily Cause, and actually from the Texas Tribune. They're doing something together. So, let me look here. I'm going, let's see, I just lost it here. Hold on. Turns out, okay, I found it. Okay, so apparently, um, The statement, I don't know what it is she said either, okay? The statement also deals with another public official. Okay, this is getting really crazy. So let me go here. Okay. All righty. So I'm sorry, I lost my place, folks, This is getting kind of complicated here. Okay. Again, all these emails, it never said what Alonzo said that was so offensive that would warrant her firing. Um, So anyway, Texas A&M let Alonzo keep her job. They did did do an internal investigation. And since they they let her keep her job because they couldn't confirm any wrongdoing. Okay. Um, there was a statement issued by Texas A&M University System spokesperson Layla Copeland who explained that Chancellor Sharp's text to the lieutenant governor was, quote, a typical update, you know, claiming it wasn't unusual for the chancellor to, quote, keep elected officials informed when something at Texas A&M might interest them. Copeland went on to say, 
Quote, it's not unusual to respond to any state official who has concerns about anything occurring at the Texas A&M system, end quote. Okay, that's crazy. Now, apparently this um, uh, Dan Patrick, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's office was uh, contacted. They never responded for any comment. Um, the article does mention Adam Steinbaum, who is an attorney with a group called the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. It's a nonprofit, and their goal is to protect free speech on college campuses, no matter what religion you are or none. Uh, and he said, quote, it would be highly inappropriate for a university to conduct an investigation if a faculty member says something critical of a state leader or a government official. That is, I think, a misuse of institutional resources, and it's one that will have a chilling effect, and that has a chilling effect even if you wind up clearing the professor, end quote, Steinbaugh said. It's also a clear First Amendment violation. I don't care if the student was offended. I don't care if the lieutenant governor was offended. But what this is about, this is so almost identical to what the Nazis did in the early days, where they intimidated academics. That is not hyperbole. It's real. So a day after the complaint about Alonzo's talk, uh, a woman, a professor at Texas A&M Health, who's also the co-chair of the university's opioid task force uh, named Marsha Ory, um, warned about long-term consequences. Okay. Uh, quote, the incident in Galveston yesterday is probably an indicator of how sensitive and politically charged this topic is. Okay, so we're going to go down here. Basically, the only thing I can see from this article is that Alonzo was critical of the Republicans, not just lieutenant governor, but the Republicans in the state legislature that were passing laws that would make it more difficult to, um, you know, get help for basic, you know, for overdose victims. All right. She was actually responding as a medical professional. So why is the lieutenant governor involved? Well, the lieutenant governor kind of runs the legislature. And Dan Patrick, when I looked up stuff about him, he rules with an iron fist. Before he was this, guess what? Talk show host, host on conservative radio. In fact, Rush Limbaugh was one of his early acolytes. Gee whiz, am I not shocked. So, and the thing is this, Alonzo has a great career, okay? She's helped bring millions of federal research dollars to the university. Uh, a year ago, she was Texas A&M's pharmacy school, named her the early career researcher of the year. Uh, one of Alonzo's projects focused on training people to use Narcan, which is a nasal spray that reverses the opioid, opioid effects and saves lives in overdose instances. And she's advised state leaders on other public policies that would improve the fight against overdose risk. Um, but the same year, Governor Greg Abbott declared crack, he was cracking down on opioids, especially fentanyl. Um, lawmakers, uh, you know, kind of followed suit. And what they're doing is they're focusing on a more punitive approach, according to the Texas Tribune. You know, according to this article, it says, quote, Quote, instead of backing other recommended strategies to reduce overdose deaths, such as legalizing test strips that can detect the presence of fentanyl in other drugs, lawmakers focused on a more punitive approach, approving laws that increase criminal penalties for providing fentanyl that leads to an overdose death. So 
Alonzo was speaking to that, and she's really supported this harm, supported harm reduction efforts as opposed to increased punishment. And, um, you know, as the crisis, the fentanyl crisis got worse in Texas, Alonzo did receive emails from Texas school districts and even from law enforcement agencies that wanted her training and wanted her Naloxone kits. Okay? And in the past, it's estimated she's given away more than $4.5 million worth of Naloxone through her training sessions. Okay? All right, so it gets deeper. Let me go down here, please. So apparently the student that made the complaint, um, let me see, I'm looking here, I'm looking here. Mm, I really need new glasses. Anyway. We can get into this further. We're running out of time. So what I'm trying to say is this. Joy Alonzo risked losing her job for doing her job. Put bluntly, that's it. You look at the two cases. One is Maggie DeJong, who it appears, based on what the student newspaper wrote, was equally guilty, all right, missing context, and she got a court settlement that she didn't deserve, actually, because the no-contact order, you know, Alliance Defending Freedom based their win on the idea that DeJong was discriminated against, except that the no-contact order went to both sides, the students that made the complaint as well as DeJong. So how can that be discrimination? It's not. The rule was equally applied. Was it a First Amendment violation in both cases? Probably. I would say so. And I would urge those students that if they have to put up with that little witch again, tell her once and once only, go away. And if she starts doing a Marjorie Taylor Greene, following you down the hall, getting in your face, then you just tell her once and once only, you're going to get a letter from my lawyer. It has nothing to do with the university, so you can't cry free speech rights. But your free speech rights do not give you a right to harass and stalk somebody. Again, the Newsweek reporting didn't have necessary context. And then you compare it to what happened to Professor Joy Alonzo, who allegedly made a disparaging remark against lieutenant governor in Texas. How is that illegal? I want to know. Now, the professors are worried because they worked real hard to get those positions. I understand that. But those professors need to lawyer up further. This is a definite First Amendment violation. And they need to demand their rights. They just do. They need to demand their rights. This is nonsense. Now, that information came from the Texas Tribune. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan media organization. They report about public policy, politics, government, and statewide issues. Okay? So now we're going to get ready for... My little Marchie. Here we go. Getting ready. What is our little Margie doing now? Can we guess what that little blonde Neanderthal has done next? Well, 
we certainly won't be surprised. Because if one thing's for sure, our little Margie will do something predictably asinine and full of jackassery. So, with no further ado, welcome to our... Yeah, come on, Vern. Okay. So, what did little Margie do this week? Well, it turns out, and this is too funny, this is according to Yahoo.com, um... About a week ago, Marjorie Taylor Greene is calling now for decorum, decorum in the session. Mind you, this is a week after prominently showing the entire world what can only be called a dick pic of Hunter Biden on national television. She couldn't wait, and we talked about this last week, she couldn't wait to show off Hunter Biden's junk on television. And this little idiot has the gall to demand decorum? Now, we know that Margie is, you know, just our, our little Neanderthal. You know, is she on roids? You know, you know, is she, you know, basically confused? None. We'll never know. But, again, our little Margie is just that, our vile little Neanderthal in the U.S. Congress. That's my little Margie. Short one tonight. Okay, onward. You know, this week, it was hard. It was kind of hard to pick a jackass of the week. It really was. We're kind of running short on time here. Mm. So once again, but I found it. I did. So let me let me get our little jackass talk going here. Because this week, it's a very special jackass. Actually, he's been, you know, celebrated on the show before. He has. So, let me get that here. Don't know if you can hear that or not. Okay. Let me go here again. Sorry, folks. It's been a rough week. So, once again, our little, our Jackass of the Week. This week, the Jackass of the Week Award goes to Ben Shapiro at the Daily Wire. His take on global warming and climate change. Bray on, Ben, bray on. It's amazing how somebody with a degree, an alum from the Harvard Law School can be so clueless, but... I guess that's what happens when you get kind of kind of uh, spoiled. So Ben Shapiro's take on climate realized this week is just turn on the AC. Let's listen. Okay, folks, sorry about that. Here we go. Okay, so I borrowed from the Young Turks, but that's Ben Shapiro's take on uh, how we fix global warming, climate disaster. Just turn on the AC. So congratulations, Ben. You're our jackass of the week. 
Pray on, Ben. Pray on. Okay. So, just a few thoughts here. You know, there's been a lot of talk about discrimination. And there's talk about privilege. The problem is this. If you are a member of the white, you're a white, Christian, straight, male, you what you think is discrimination is just normal competition. You know, the discrimination has become so overt when a reputable professor at Texas A&M is, talk about a witch hunt, her job is being threatened because she allegedly made a disparaging remark against the lieutenant governor when her job's at risk and it creates this deadening silence on a university when you're talking about medical themes on top of it all. Yes, that's a clear, not only a First Amendment violation uh, against that professor, but my question is this, and it's a rhetorical question because I know why. Why isn't Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick facing charges of malfeasance in office? To me, it looks like he has a pattern, most likely, of abusing his power in office. And yet, no investigation of Dan Patrick, no nothing. This has to stop. It's happened in other states, too. So this is what we're talking about here. And in Texas, Texas is kind of a weird situation. The governor of Texas is kind of more of a, a what do you call it, a figurehead. The real power is with the lieutenant governor. I mean, think about what happened. The chancellor of the entire university system of 11 campuses contacted or got back to the lieutenant governor this alleged disparaging remark. So what if she said a disparaging remark? The First Amendment says she can, and you can't hold it against her. Good God. What's next? Do we have to bow down to his majesty? This is absolutely ridiculous. And at the same point, you've got a graduate student like Maggie DeJong that's whining that they picked on her. But when you look at the actual context, what you find is that, first of all, she wasn't discriminated against because the no-contact order affected both sides. That's number one. Therefore, there's no discrimination. Not on that, anyway. Not on the punishment. And as for a denial of free speech, well, possibly. The university acted kind of stupidly there. Okay? If Mr. Jung could not get along with the others, believe it or not, when you're in a graduate program, you don't have to have a right to a degree. You have to earn it. And if you are appear to be ill-suited, they can kick you out of the program. And if she was upsetting others, and if she has an opinion or a point of view that would make it difficult for her to give comfort to people uh, that are not Christian, that, are, that do not share her viewpoint, then maybe she's ill-suited for that particular type of work. All right, She has a right to say any ignorant thing she wants to. Her classmates also have a right to of rebuttal. I don't think I would have been as polite as her classmates. I think I know for a fact I would have been, you know what? That's your opinion, but guess what? I don't agree with you, and if you keep getting in my face, I may have to get a restraining order against you. It has nothing to do with the university, so go whine elsewhere. That's it. 
this is what we're dealing with here. It, it's it's hideous. So I want to end on kind of a fun note. Let's see if we can find a Randy Rainbow. Okay, it's been a long, long program today. This one seems really good because it, it has to do, you know, with all the indictments against the Donald. Okay, let me go back here. Ugh, machine is not cooperating. Okay, here we go.
Okay, so that's our show for today. I hope you learned something. Um, Once again, we have to remember, we can disagree with each other, but the rights enshrined in the Bill of Rights are for everybody, whether you like them or not. So I would urge those Democrats that think, oh, they don't want to fight the Republicans, you need to wake up. Because this GOP is full fascist, and we have to stop them. We just do. When I say full fascist, the GOP of Trump, the GOP of Hawley, the GOP of Barrasso, the GOP of the Heritage Foundation of Charles Koch, they are neo-Nazis. That's it. In total contradiction to everything this country is supposed to stand for. We all have to stand together. With that, I say good night and God bless us, whatever you believe. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.